Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop games out there. It has been said about a million times, mostly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we could be playing, we could be spending our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. And that is where I'm going to take my usual preamble and stop, because today is not a episode about a particular game. We are not talking to an author. We are not talking to people who play a particular game and are sharing our experiences. We're not going to be talking about an event. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to wish all of you a very happy new year, and I would like to welcome you to the very first ever Cast Dice Trivia Challenge. Now, today is a trivia show. It is a game show starring you. And uh, some a, a, a panel of our, some of our finest guests from over the years. Um, now, the way this works is we are going to have 50 official questions and then some bonus fun questions about the history of uh, Cast Ice and the LRDG and WWPD Podcast Network from way back when. And we're going to throw that all together and we are going to see who's been paying attention over the years and what, you know... Test your knowledge of gaming and uh, pop culture nerdiness as a whole. So before we get into any more about that, I think we do need to uh, introduce our panel. Because though we will be reading the questions out for you to answer at home and for you to keep score so you too can be part of the fun, um, there will be a, uh, a panel today of people that literally, uh, without their regular appearances on the show, I honestly don't know how I would have done it over the years. Um, some of the most common guests of this and other shows I've run, great friends of the show. You might even call them family, and I can't think of better people to be spending New Year's with. Without further ado, the first man is th one of the greatest bolt-action TOs in history. This man seems to know more about what is happening in the gaming world than anyone else I know, and he is just a damn fine human being who sends me beautiful packages in the mail every now and then. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Peter West. Welcome back to Cast Ice. It's been a pleasure. Been too long. Man, it has been, according to Skype, nine months. We could have had a baby. <laughs> Instead, that's a scary thought. <laughs> we just had, we've just had silence. It's been sad. I'm, I'm glad to hear your voice, Pete. Welcome back, baby. Thanks. Oh, well, uh, uh, speaking of the longest uh, person that I haven't, or the person I haven't spoken to in the longest, to the person I've spoken to most recently, uh, the gentleman I played a wonderful game of Warlords of Erewhon against the other day, uh, a gentleman who is always up to play anything, it seems, um, and shares one of my uh, just great aesthetic for playing games, uh, and I will play any game, any day, the one and only Dave Monroe. Welcome back. Uh, oh, it is nice to be here. Thanks, Brad. And uh, yeah, definitely gaming is much more fun than going to work any day. Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. And speaking of going to work, a man who has been working through the holidays, earning those dollars, uh, a man who possesses one of the most analytical minds in gaming that I have ever seen, and yet is still a tremendous... Uh, a tremendous human being who I love playing games with because he is righteous and fun and just great. Of course, I'm talking Lee Avery. Lee, how you doing, man? Good, thanks, Brad. Yourself? Oh, man, I am sweating buckets. Now, I thought that we had it hot in Victoria today. Uh, Melbourne is in the middle of a heat wave. It was well over 100 degrees for those in the Northern Hemisphere today. 
in Victoria. But Peter, I understand it was even worse where you were. Yep, second hot, hottest day in record uh, for Canberra, according to the news anyway. So, uh, yeah, <sighs> it was a tad warm today. <laughs> yes, not not nice, not nice. So, uh, Dave, did you get out in the saltwater pool today? Oh, totally, yeah, Flo- floating around there. And, uh, yeah, that was that's uh, one way to keep the heat under control. Man, I was thinking of you all day. I was playing a game of Star Wars Legion with the host of uh, the Cast Ice Network's, uh, my co-host from the network's newest show, Beyond the First Marker. Drew and I played a game of uh, Star Wars Legion Skirmish. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty hot in the old Cast Ice studio today. So uh, I'm glad the fans were on. And unfortunately, I've had to turn them off. Otherwise, you wouldn't hear anything but a helicopter taking off on this recording. So... It's going to be sweaty, gentlemen. Now, um, guys, I have to thank you all so much for coming on today. Um, Not only, as I said before we got on, have you always been willing to uh, be guinea pigs for the absolutely insane ideas that I like to put online sometimes. Um, It isn't always easy. Um, Having recently been recorded the first couple of episodes of Beyond the First Marker, of which there is uh, five Star Wars trivia questions in every episode, um, I have discovered that I absolutely stink at trivia when the pressure's put on me. I had thought I was great at this. Uh, turns out I'm terrible. I'm two for five for the two episodes so far. So I've gotten four out of ten. So, um, yeah, being, being on a show like this where everyone's going to hear your answers and your scores isn't uh, the easiest thing. But I figured you guys are all, A, extremely knowledgeable about gaming and sort of nerdy pop culture. But also, B, you've listened to enough shows that you should be able to fake it till you make it in a big, beautiful way if you don't know the answer. So uh, thank you very much for, again, being guinea pigs for the madness. And, uh, gentlemen, let's tell the folks at home how this works. So, if you are keeping track at home, today we are going to have a trivia competition. As I've said, there are going to be ten five-question categories. So, if you are keeping track at home, the way this works is, every five questions, I will stop. And I will go back and I will tell you the answers. So, you can keep track at home. Meanwhile, these fine gentlemen will be texting me their answers individually um, through Facebook Messenger. So I will have their answers, and I will be keeping score for us. Now, while that's happening, every just to keep the 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 drama up, we will let you know what their overall score is after the for twenty questions, after the fortieth question, I should say, and then again, obviously at the end. So there are 50 basic questions and there are seven bonus questions that can be had. Now, several questions you can get uh, half points for, and I will explain what those are when we get to them. And there'll be a couple of questions that will have a couple of bonus points that you can throw in. So I think you have a possible 52 out of your score. Now, as as we are uh, welcoming you to play along with us at home, uh, I hope that you will keep track yourself and you can test your knowledge. Uh, and see how you rack up against this wonderful panel of incredibly intelligent human beings who will be competing today. Now, unfortunately, there aren't any grand prizes, but I'm sure we can figure out a little sum-sum to send uh, our great big winner in the mail. In fact, I'm looking at something ridiculous on the shelf right now. So, uh, gentlemen, we are you ready? Shall we begin? Let's go. Yep. Uh, 
All right. Now, if you are ready at home and you want to start writing things down, now might be an excellent time to pause, grab a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper. As I said, write down uh, 10 groups of five questions up to basically 50 uh, and then leave space at the bottom for seven additional questions. Let's begin. Now, the first category, and I do have to thank uh, the wonderful Peter West. Hi, Peter, for um, giving me some of the categories. I used, uh, he saw the rough list uh, and sent me some cute names back. I did want to give the guys a little bit of prep, um, and he gave me some wonderful names for some of these categories. So I do want to thank you, Pete, for uh, being way more uh, creative and inventive and more interesting than I am. So thank you. No problem. All right. To the first category is to all the games we've loved before. So we are remembering classic gaming. Now, I do know that some of you have not been alive or remember some of the years in which these games are made. Again, we are starting old and working our way forward. Um, Now, again, if you don't know some of these, have a guess. We'll see where we end up. Number one. In 1984... TSR published the classic Marvel superhero role-playing game. Now, that was an interesting game because though it was percentile-based and it used D10s, um, they often used adjectives instead of numbers to make it more kid-friendly. Now, which of these was not used to describe character attributes in that game? Typical, amazing, fantastic, or incredible which of these was not used to describe character attributes in that game typical amazing fantastic or incredible i'm glad you said guesses are allowed oh yeah boom i have an answer from everyone nicely done gentlemen Number two, in 1985, one of the most popular supplements for the game Car Wars came out. It detailed new weapons and equipment that you could put in and on your vehicle, starting with, uh, and it began a long series of sequels. Now, the name of that book was Uncle Blank Auto Stop and Gunnery Shop. What was the name of our favorite uncle in the auto-dueling world? Uncle Blank, Auto Stop and Gunnery Shop was the name of the book. What was his name? Did you get on board the uh, (laughs) Car Wars Kickstarter reboot? Uh, I did. I did. Uh, no, sorry, I did not. I was I was too busy laughing at Lee's answer. Um, no, I did. I did not this time. Um, I'm a little curious about how the bases work. It does look like um, the bases for Cruel Seas. So it looks like all the sh- all the cars look like little boats swimming around on the road. Um, I think I want to see the rules before I buy in. Um, when games like Gaslands exist and they are just too damn good. So yeah, yeah. All right. Great question, by the way, Dave. Uh, Now, number three. Uh, Let's go way back. Who wrote the rule set Little Wars, uh, which was there to play toy soldiers with in 1913? Who wrote the rule set Little Wars, 
1913. I think I went to his house once. I'm like, he was dead. It's a museum now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Didn't just pop in for a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> Lee, you are on fire. I am dying over here. I have uh, to say, most of these questions so far, I was like five years old. Uh, yeah. Well, you were five years old in 1913. Well, apart from that one, but the yeah. prior one. So yeah. There's a lot of guesstimation exactly. going on. Exactly. Um, now, I did want to point out, and I should have said this before, that. Um, some of the there are questions for everyone on this panel. Um, some of the questions I, I expect you won't know some of them. I do expect that you will know some of them. And everyone's got a little something something. So uh, keep that in mind. If you're looking looking at these Lee and thinking, what the hell? There are questions for you coming. If I can get fifty percent over the night. I'll be happy. There you go. Uh, that's the, that's the medium line. All right, I love it. All right, everyone's got their answer. And God, man, Lee, you're killing me. <clears throat> Number four. What was the name of the famous hex-based World War II tactical board game designed by John Hill that was originally published in 1977? What was the name of the famous hex-based World War II tactical-level board game put out by John Hill that was published in 1977? Hey, I was alive then. Yeah. <laughs> Me <was> too. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Lee's killing me, man. Uh, I can't wait to share some of these answers later. <laughs> mm. Ooh, okay. Uh, now, gentlemen, number... Five. Now, <clears throat> this is uh, one last one that, Lee, if you didn't get the other ones, I don't think you're going to get this one. Uh, it has, however, been mentioned on uh, Cast Dice a couple of times, which is why it's here. Number five, what was the space opera action RPG put out by TSR in 1982? What was the space opera action adventure RPG put out by TSR in 1982? Has a very 70s cover. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, Lee, that was a great guess. Um, all right, let's go through the answers. Oh, great answer, Pete. <laughs> that is brilliant. All right. So, uh, 1984, TSR published the classic Marvel superhero role-playing game, uh, which was not a, an attribute used to describe character uh, characteristics in that game. Uh, unbelievably, fantastic was not. Uh, typical, uh. amazing, poor, incredible, excellent were all in there. Uh, fantastic weirdly wasn't. Apparently, the Fantastic Four... Not that popular. Uh, weirdly, because Thing was in the game. Anyway, 1985. One of the most popular supplements for Car Wars was Uncle Albert's, or Uncle Al's, Auto Stop and Gunnery Shop. Uh, the rule set, just about everyone got it here. It's H.G. Wells. Uh, Lee, no, Pete West did not write it. Um, <laughs> just saying. I thought it was worth a try. And Uncle Bucks is not the name of that <laughs> book. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> uh, 
the name of the uh, World War II hex-based tactical game is not Axis and Allies. Sorry, uh, man. Uh, it is Squad Leader. Uh, and uh, the space opera game is actually Paranoia was a fantastic game, and number five was almost a question about it. It was, however, Star Frontiers, uh, which had one of the greatest covers in gaming, as far as I'm concerned. It is so 70s-tastic, even though it was put out in the 80s. If you have not Googled Star Frontiers, you got to check it out. It's amazing. CSI was nothing if not the 70s lingering on into the 80s. <laughs> That's right. That is right. Well, let's get on. I have everyone's score marked. Shall we start round two? A gaming renaissance. Questions about more recent tabletop games. Now, all of you are bolt action aficionados, so this is a question for all of you. Number six. In bolt action, if you roll a five on the foobar chart, what does your unit do? And you can quickly summarize that, just in a couple words. If you, in bolt action... If you roll a five on the foobar chart, what does your unit do? All right, everyone's writing down an answer. Here we go. I can never remember which way it goes, whether you go from the bottom <laughs> or the top. <laughs> that's why I said five. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that stuff doesn't stick. <laughs> nope. Uh, one of you got it, and I'm not telling you who. <clears throat> now, yeah, it'll be Pete. what's that? It'll be Pete. <laughs> eh, dude, I'm not saying who's got it. Could be you, Dave. You never know. Uh, all right. So, number seven. Now, this is recently Warlord Games put out uh, the much anticipated uh, tabletop skirmish game, Judge Dread. Uh, now, one of the two authors of the original 2000 AD sort of verse games um, largely contributed to that game and was a recent guest on the Warlord Games podcast. However, Strontium Dog was the first 2000 AD game that Warlord put out. Which two famous GW, XGW uh, game designers slash rules writers slash novelists and I do say novelists, wrote Strontium Dog. Which two authors co-authored the first 2000 AD game, Strontium Dog? And I will give you half points if you get one. There was more than one? Oh, bugger. <laughs> there was two. For, the orig for, for Strontium Dog, there were two. Who's uh, the other Oh, we'll go for half points. Um. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can picture their face. I yeah. can't remember the name. Oh, no, I've got it. I've got it. <laughs> Would it help if uh, we may have tackled uh, one of them it. at a post-games no. day party and held him down and said, that's for the Wraith Lord? <laughs> Not sure if that helps. Just saying. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. And everyone has answered. All right, we are good. Lee, are you still going? Because, oh, no, you're good. Here we go. Number eight. 
What is the name of Warlord Games's Napoleonic naval battle game, the recent one? Is it Black Seas? Is it Black Sails? Is it Dark Seas? Or is it Where Has All the Rum Gone? <laughs> I'd play that last game. Yes, me too, right? Play that every week. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, love it, love it. And we have answers. All right. Ooh, number nine. Now, I am not. I am famously not a war machine guy, but I did want to get a privateer quest question, a privateer press question in here. Lee, this one's kind of for you. Uh, yes. What is the name of the new game design studio that was made up of former privateer press employees and just put out? the very anticipated Marvel Crisis Protocol game. It is put out, it is published through Asmodai, but what is the game design studio that created it for Asmodai? It's three words. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I sent you three words, but I don't <laughs> yes, think they're the right did. ones. Uh, NFI. I wonder what that stands for, Pete. Hmm. <laughs> Family-friendly show. Yes, something like that. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. <laughs> Ex-privateer toots. Nice, Dave. Uh, all right, Lee, what you got? What you got? Oh, ooh, good guess. Good guess. All right, here we go. Uh, I see Dave is typing. Dave, you good? Or are you... Uh... Uh, sorry, different chat. <laughs> okay. Sorry, you were typing in us. Number 10. Uh, now, all of us have also played Warlords of Erewhon, so this is a give me for this particular panel. Uh, gentlemen, how far... Can a basically a sorry a basic infantry model move in Warlords of Erewhon? Now I'm not talking about running. I'm talking about advancing. Yeah, I learned that rule the other day. Yep. <laughs> Me too. I haven't played it recently enough. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. And now we have the answers. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are ready for round. Three. Now, if you're thinking, Brad, there's a lot of game questions in here. Well, first of all, Cast Dice is a gaming podcast, so that's going to happen. However, I did promise some pop culture questions. So, round three is called, It's a Trap. Questions about Star Wars trivia and fluff. All right, here we go. Let's test our Star Wars knowledge. In A New Hope... During the Battle of Yavin, what was Luke Skywalker's Red Squadron call sign? In the Battle of Yavin, what was Luke Skywalker's Red Squadron call sign? Mm -hmm. All right. Got some good answers there. Nice. Uh, Pete, I think this one might be for you. I hope you know the answer. Otherwise, I'm going to feel really bad for saying that. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I feel a bit of pressure. No pressure. Uh, so, number twelve, George Lucas decided to make a to make Star Wars, the first one, A New Hope, after failing to acquire the rights to make what other famous science fiction slash space opera property? George Lucas made A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie, and created the Star Wars as we know it after failing to acquire the rights to make what other famous science fiction property? I'll give you a hint. It was his favorite growing up. Ah, okay. I'm in the wrong era then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Got some great answers going on. Got some great answers. And I am waiting for Mr. West. Yes. Well, I'm sent. You are sent. It just popped up. Now. I'm glad you got that, Pete. Number 13. <laughs> now, this one is a fairly long-winded one, and I will repeat the thing at the end, so stick with me. What is the number of the Clone Wars Legion assigned to work with and under Jedi General Anakin Skywalker? In the time of the Galactic Civil War, this unit remained attached to Vader and was also known as Vader's Fist. What was that legion's number? What was that legion's number? Ooh, good guesses, good guesses. Literally like zero to 200. An <laughs> um, who said 200 was the maximum it's yeah. mostly clones are making millions of them that's right that's right you got a whole galaxy to punch in the face exactly can't have any of those uh, aliens running around the place it's got to be just cloned humans um, all right 14 what is the name of the weird annoying monkey-like lizard creature that hangs around and entertains Jabba the Hutt in Return of the Jedi. What <laughs> is the name of the weird, annoying, monkey lizard creature that sort of hangs around, literally, and entertains Jabba the Hutt in Return of the so, Jedi? Not to get technical, Brad, are you looking for the character name or the species name? I'll accept either. I don't know either. I was just trying to look smart. Uh, you, oh, Dave, um, yeah. guys, I'm sorry, listeners at home. I can't read all these cause they're not always family friendly, but these are very entertaining. Um, so, uh, I would like to point out that, uh, yeah. Uh, so Pete, um, you have given me a partial answer. Can you elaborate on that one anymore? Cause right now you got a half a point. Uh, no, nah, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to bank the half a point. Done. All right. Done. All right. Number 15. Last question in the Star Wars round. Now, let's see. What character said the very famous line, many Bothans died to bring us this information? 
what character famously said, Many Bothans died to bring us this information. <laughs> uh, I like the voice, Brad. It's almost the exact match. Uh, that's terrifying. I hope not for her case. Anyway, <laughs> no hints. <clears throat> and yeah, boom. All right. Now, fourth category. Question 16. We are moving into the danger zone. Now, uh, some of these are definitely not for all of you. Uh, you should all be able to answer at least a few of them. Uh, now, this is a round that is called a piction. Sorry, a picture tells a thousand words. These are questions regarding covers of, our, of iconic games. Uh, be it books or be it boxes. We often love to talk about how good the art is in the books that we look at and in the games that we play. Well, today we're going to talk about the covers of some of those games. Now, some of these are very old games, and some of these are newer games. So bear with me. Number 16, the cover of the very first edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons shows a bunch of characters or a bunch of player characters doing a bunch of random things. But two of the characters are prying jewels out of the eye sockets of a giant idol. What was the color of the jeweled eyes that they are prying out? Two of the characters are prying jewels out of a giant idol's face. What are the color of the jeweled eyes that they are prying out? All right. Number 17. Warhammer 40,000, first edition, a.k.a. Rogue Trader, the big kahuna, the old one written by Rick Priestley, has one of the most iconic covers in gaming history. It shows a Space Marine chapter surrounded by orcs a last stand. What chapter are those space marines? On Rogue Trader. The cover of Rogue Trader, first edition, Warhammer 40,000, first edition. I'm looking at it on my desk. What chapter are the space marines being attacked by the orcs? Oh, well, I guess I've got to start with 40K somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Grey Wolves well, is, a, is a great guess, but uh, yeah. Mm. Oh, I haven't been going back with the answers, have I? Um, I will have to go back and um, go through some of the answers. I knew I was forgetting something. Uh, now, let's talk about number 18. What nationality are the troopers firing on the tank on the cover of the current bolt action rulebook. So there is a figure in the front, but then behind that figure, there are soldiers firing on a tank. What nationality are the soldiers firing on the tank? Repeat this part. So on the cover of the current bolt action rulebook, there is a figure in the front. There's a giant German soldier at the, at the front of the, the book. 
next to him yeah, in the, the sound background. Of our chairs creaking as we lean across our our rooms to <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you cheating gets um, mine's yeah. in a bag yeah. I was just okay. testing what my arm reach was and it's not that good <laughs> well Brilliant. mine's definitely not it's in my other house it's in yeah, Melbourne. yeah there you go for a split second I thought that uh, Lee's answer was a space marine answer from the last question and I was like damn that <laughs> that that wouldn't be a bad guess uh, all right <clears throat> let's go to number nineteen. Uh, what now, if we go back to battle droids and then BattleTech first edition, which is technically BattleTech second edition because battle droids was its original name and FASA got sued and they had to change the name of the company, uh, or change the name of the game. There was a Robotech a, rules, a BattleTech, not Robotech, different game. <laughs> you, didn't, you do need to be specific. So there was a Warhammer battle neck on the cover of that box. What color was that Warhammer? What color is the Warhammer battle neck on the cover of Battle Droids slash Battletech, which is kind of like Battletech's first edition, even though it is technically Battletech second edition. It's a very iconic cover. All right. And last but not least, number... 20. Going back for one last Warlords of Erewhon question. What is the wizard on the cover of Warlords of Erewhon holding? What is the wizard on the cover of the Warlords of Erewhon book holding? It's the same as the figure, isn't it? I'm just trying to picture it. Mm-hmm. It is. Oh, God. Just waiting for Dave's answer, and then we are ready to go. All right. Now, I have neglected the last couple of categories, so I'm actually going to jump back a little bit, and we're going to go through some answers. Um, when I said number six... In bolt action, if you roll a five on the foobar chart, you actually flee. You run. Your unit, your unit um, moves away from the closest enemy. You do not shoot. Uh, number seven, when I said the two main authors of Strontium Dog, uh, just about all of you got Andy Chambers. The other was Gav Thorpe, who famously wrote uh, a ton the of the... Sorry, Gav. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I Gav. I didn't remember Andy, so, you know, between us, we were all right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, Gav was always dwarves and elves, and Andy was always uh, 40K orcs and orcs. So, yeah, there you go. Um, number eight, uh, the name of Warlord Games, Napoleonic Games, everyone got Black Seas. I always call it Black Sails. And for those who were listening to that, that episode, I had to re-record the introduction twice because I called it Black Sails twice which isn't <laughs> at all embarrassing when you're interviewing the author of the game the author. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> yeah i really love your game uh black sales yeah. <laughs> yeah not great that was not a good look for me just for the record <clears throat> uh weirdly not my most embarrassing moment on the warlord cast uh number nine what was the name of the new game to studio that makes uh marvel crisis protocol it is atomic mass games Oh, of course it is. Yep. And how far can a basic infantry model move in Warlords of Erewhon? Five inches. 
Uh, Dave and I were getting that wrong, and we got it right the other day in our game. Sorry, Pete. I know you put six, and that's what we thought it was. But, yep, it's a trap. Well, speaking of it's a trap, let's look at the Star Wars round. Now, number 11, uh, Luke Skywalker's call sign was Red 5. Yep, and they even mention it in the new movie when they mention Red 5 is flying to the planet. There you go. Spoilers. Uh, I hope I didn't give away much there. Uh, Number 12, George Lucas really wanted to make uh, a different space opera to start with, and though, Lee, you were super close with Buck Rogers, it wasn't. It was Flash Gordon. Yeah, that only kicked me. I Uh, thought about Flash, and then I was like, it's a bit too obvious, and I was like, I'm pretty sure they made a Flash Gordon movie. They did, because Star Wars was popular. They went, oh, God, we do need to make this. It came out after. Yeah, and uh, do you remember when the Valhalla used to run Flash Gordon serials before the Saturday afternoon matinees? Well, no, I don't remember that, but I do remember seeing those on TV. So, um, if I'm glad you said that, Dave. So, if you ever want to look back on the original Flash Gordon um, serials, they are actually all on YouTube right now. And there is a podcast on Friend of the Network's um, The Long Box Crusade. If you go to their podcast network, uh, they mainly do. Um, you know, action movie and comic book podcasts. But one of their podcasts looks back specifically at old matinee serials, uh, Sherlock Holmes and also Flash Gordon. And I was a guest episode for one of those. And I spent the entire time squeeing about how wonderful old Flash Gordon was. So, um, yeah, fantastic. Those guys are really funny. If you haven't listened and you like Flash Gordon, um, listen to that. Although I'm not sure I'd recommend watching those serials again. They are a little scary. Um, what is the number of clone troopers? Uh, guys, if I give you a hint, let's see, because I don't think any of you got it. Um, <laughs> it is the same number of the Legion that they use for the fan organization where guys dress up as stormtroopers. 501st. 501st. Vader's fist. I knew that, and I couldn't remember their name. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I didn't think it was the same one. It was the, yeah. yeah it was, I, I wanted to give you the hint, but then I thought, eh. Thought it was a trap. Well, <laughs> it's a trap. Uh, number fourteen. Uh, the name of the weird, annoying monkey-like lizard is, and I will give you credit for Salacious Crumb, but it is Salacious uh. B Crumb. Why the hell he's got a middle name? The only guy in Star Wars, which is why I picked it. Yeah, Salacious B Crumb. Uh, don't even know why. Um, now, what character said the famous line? You all got. Um, oh, actually, one of you may not have. It was Many Bothans was Mon Mothma. Yeah, I didn't get it. Yeah. Many. Yeah. And I, I, I was afraid my impression sounded a little too much like uh, 3PO uh, after a volume. But, you know, <laughs> where was I not going? Not to be confused that? with Mothra. Yes, exactly. <laughs> with the little Japanese girls in the background cheering. Amazing. Oh, that would have been even better. Could we have Mothra delivering that line? That would make Star Wars so much. Anyway, um, going to the covers, if we look at the first edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, uh, a friend of mine actually had a photocopy of this image on his wall. I think he got it from Dragon Magazine for years. And so whenever I think of gaming, uh, when I was a little, little kid, I always think of this picture. And when I did the trivia, this was actually the second trivia question I came up with because I really wanted to talk about that cover. Um, and it is two characters prying jewels out of the eye sockets of a giant idol. 
the uh, the jewels are red. They are red eyes. I really love that picture because D and D kind of markets itself as this kind of grand tales of heroism mm-hmm. and big story arcs, but it's right there on the cover in the first edition. We've just raided this dungeon and we're just looting it and we're wondering how to get rid of the body. <laughs> That's it. But if you look at the I, – I only remembered the idol and the two guys on the front and that was my entire memory of it. There's actually like six player characters in the foreground on the, at the bottom of the page. And to this yeah. day, I was like, were they even there? What are they doing? And they're just milling around, like looking at maps, picking well, their nose, well, high-fiving yeah, each they're, other. They're starting to divide the treasure up. Yeah. There's a guy guarding the door. There's, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're cleaning their weapons. It's it's um, it's great. And the it's like a Greek tragedy. All the exciting stuff happened off stage. And then here we're picking up the action in the in the uh, mm-hmm. uh, from uh, where it died. Exactly, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about the big kahuna, Rogue Trader. Uh, who were the chapter of Marines fighting? Uh, they were not the Grey Wolves. Sorry, Pete. Um, they were the Crimson Fists. Oh, damn. Sorry, Dave. Uh, good guess with Blood Angels, though. I wanted the Rainbow Warriors to come back. I think that that would have been, I think, yeah, one of my favorite Space Marine chapters. And, of course, Dark Angels when they were black. But Blood, uh, Blood Angels was second edition. Oh, I was trying to think of one. They were in there. Um, there's Black Templars on the third edition, and that yeah. was my first edition. Oh, was it? Yeah. I sold that box when I worked for Games Workshop. God, I'm old. Um, moving on. The nationality of the troopers. Uh, weirdly, none of you got that one right. Um, they're British soldiers firing a Piat. I'm not sure uh, I've ever opened the second edition rule book. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Dave. I'm not sure I've ever looked at the cover. <laughs> Every- always just looking at the Hubar uh, chart at the back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm always going. I need to buy minis now. What's the list I need? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're too busy looking in the minor powers books uh, because you're always posting pictures of those models that nobody's seen yeah. before. Um, now, uh, Pete, I'm going to give you half points for the next one. What color was the Warhammer mech on the cover of Battle Droids? You were the closest. Um, it is tan or khaki. Uh, I will accept brown, however. Uh, we'll give you half for that. Uh, now, the last question is, of course, what is the wizard on the cover of the Warlords of Erewhon uh, book cover, uh, holding? Uh, it is a skull on a rope. Um, sort of like a sensor made out of a skull. I will accept skull. Um, but no, he is not holding a staff. Sorry about that. So I guess the question at home is, gang, how are you doing? Are you counting up? We're going to take a second here, and I'm going to let you count that up. Well, I hope you're doing well, guys. But I think it's time to ask our actual contestants on the show today how they're doing. Gentlemen, now, I haven't read out the actual scores yet, but how do you feel like you are doing? Uh, Pete, how do you feel? I feel my nerd cred, and particularly my BA cred, might, might be taking a hit. <laughs> Dave, how about you? Well, look, it, it is evident I don't open the books. But um, no, I'm having good fun here. I think it's good. Fond <laughs> memories coming back. Right on, right on. And Lee? I feel like most of the questions are ageist. <laughs> <laughs> they get they'll be you'll have you'll have your time in the sun lee you'll have your time in I'd the like sun a little more contemporary 
we'll get there. We'll get there. Now, I do have to say, I do, um, I did think it's great that, for example, Dave got all of the first five questions a hundred percent right, and then other people, you know, it, it it's it's ebbed and it's flowed, and so uh, though everyone's had a spurt or a good string. We are fairly neck and neck. So after t- the first 20 questions, we have a tied for second place, Lee and Dave. Congratulations, <laughs> guys. You will both have seven and a half. And right behind the man, the myth, the legend, Peter West with eight and a half. So that means I got two out of the next 15. <laughs> two and a half. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For the record. Um, Now, if I can point out that Peter has squeaked ahead only because he keeps getting half points. So uh, those half pointers count, gang. Um, And for those at home, I do say, I will say when I am giving people half points. Now, there are two questions in this round where you can get bonus points. So in round five... This round, between 21 and 25, there are two questions where you can earn bonus points. So I hope you are paying attention. This one is, Before I Kill You, Mr. Bond, trivia for the discerning Bond fan. 21. Before switching to the classic Walter PPK, a pistol that he used in quite a few of the original movies, what was Bond's preferred handgun? And I'm just looking for a brand here. I'm not looking for a specific weapon, like letter number situation. What was the company that made Bond's preferred handgun? 21. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's a famous scene where it is discussed in one of the first movies. Something about that gun going to get him killed, wasn't it? That's right. And the PPK uh, had the delivery to punch through something like a pl- like a brick through a plate glass window. And so that's why we got it. Uh, and his previous weapon was compared to a woman's gun. What was <laughs> that gun? And we are good. 22. In the 24 existing canon Bond movies, so I'm not talking about the, the, the Woody Casino Royale, not the, that one, or Never Say Never Again. I'm only talking about the Eon canon Bond movies. He has been shot and wounded only twice out of 24 movies. Which two movies... Has he been shot in? I will accept. I will give you one point for either. (sighs) If it helps, on one of the times he was shot and wounded, he then danced. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I didn't help, Brad. <laughs> if you listened to uh, a certain Cast means. Ice episode, you probably would have gotten it. <sighs> I'm not self-referential ever. 
Why is Never Say Never Again not a Bond movie? Because it was, um, it's a remake of Thunderball. Uh, it, because it was the guy who owned the rights to half of that movie, um, who also weirdly owns the rights to Spectre, um, which is why they stopped using Spectre as a Bond villain organization for years and years and years. Um, and if, his name is escaping me right now. But he he sued um, he sued uh, Eon and prevented them from using any of that material. Um, and he created an alternate Bond, and they got um, in the same year that Octopussy came out. Uh, Never say never again. Uh, com- competed against it in the box office. Um, and everyone likes to say how old Sean Connery looks in that movie. But if you actually compare, fun fact, uh, Sean Connery and Roger Moore, at that very moment, Sean Connery's younger. <laughs> True story. <laughs> There's a little trivia for you. Uh, has everyone put their score, their answers in? No. No? Have a guess, Lee. What do you got? Uh, put one in. Yep, there's one. There's 24 movies. You can think of a couple of names, surely. Yeah, uh, Peter, I will. Peter, I will give you half a point for successfully telling me where he was shot and who he was shot by. If you can't remember <laughs> the name of the movie, I have no idea what the movie was called. Yes, <laughs> that was very well done, uh, Lee. You have one more question. Any any other movie you'd like to guess? There are 23 more just to randomly throw in there. Yep. All right. Done. Okay. There we go. Well, let's go to number 23. Now, this is another in the 24 existing canon Bond movies. Bond has been married exactly twice. So he's been shot and wounded twice, and he's been married twice on screen. In which movies has James Bond been the groom two movies one famously married to a very famous actress and the other one a lot more subtle in what two movies was James Bond married one of which was a Christian ceremony one of which was not there's your hint Peter Will you stop getting half points? <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. I, I, I'm persistent, if not knowledgeable. <laughs> yeah. You're giving me, ex- like, who he's married to in, you know, all the situations, but not giving me the name of the movie. Anyway, moving on. <clears throat> 24. Speaking of Spectre, the best Bond uh, villain organization ever, which has been... Proc- or, uh, spoofed a million times in a million movies and is, in my opinion, the greatest criminal organization in history, even though it never existed. What does Spectre stand for? Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> I thought I knew this, and I didn't. I got this wrong. Um, and I pride myself on loving Spectre. So I will not be offended if you don't know this one, but for those who like Bond at home, this is for you. What does Spectre stand for? It's an acronym. Yeah, I know. Just trying to remember how to spell Spectre. (laughs) Trying to break it down. All right. 
And while the guys are uh, writing out their answers, I would like to say that, of course, Spectre was a uh, was the organization headed by Blofeld, who appeared in many forms uh, with many actors over the years. And though Charles Gray was fantastic and uh, was actually a good guy in a previous Bond movie, I think my personal favorite, even though you only see his hand in the cat, is Max von Sydow. Gotta love it when Ming plays a Bond villain. Uh, the, that is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Plus, you know, he is um, one of the the senior judges in the Stallone Judge Dredd movie. If there could be a uh, celebrity guest on this episode, I would love it to be Max von Sydow, just so I could hear him say anything at all. <laughs> anyway. That would be a good episode. Yes, that would be... Oh, God, that would be the best. Um, okay, so... <laughs> have some awesome answers here. <laughs> Dave, that is brilliant. Okay. <clears throat> um, Lee, it's never a good sign. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Peter, um, are you leaving that as your answer, or did you want to add anything else? Uh, sorry, I got nothing. Okay, I'll, I'll that's have to fine. go with that. All right. Well, let's get away from the hardcore Bond trivia and get to something a little easier. Um, this is a little trivia tidbit that I've heard a million times, and I'm hoping you have too. Uh, what is the name of, or should I say, what is the original name for Ian Fleming's estate on the northern coast of Jamaica? I'll give you a hint. It later becomes the name of one of the movies. What is the name Original name for Ian Fleming's estate on the northern coast of Jamaica. Side question. Yes. How much land do you actually have to have to be able to name it? That's a good question. I mean, it's one of those things in Australia. There are houses in um, my neighborhood that have names on the front. Um, we, we always name our houses. So do you? When that... I was in Northcote, we called that um, Sunyata and... And here in Heathcote, we call our place Brightstone Hill. Do you, so do you I'm mean, not aware of any legal ramifications. We just said, this is where we live. <laughs> oh, cool. That's Yeah, I just I wasn't sure if that's something you have to register for with a historic society or you just put a name on the front of the house. But there are quite no, a few buildings here. Yeah. That's not really something I ran into in Boston a lot or in my travels in other countries before coming to Australia, which is funny because Boston, every third thing's historic. You would think there'd be names on everything. Uh, it, but yeah. It's a grand British tradition. I'm surprised the Americans don't keep it up of moving somewhere new and renaming it. Mm. It's true. Um, maybe one of those things we threw out in the war. Uh, Lee, <laughs> do you want to take a guess on uh, this one? Yeah, I'm guessing the estate wasn't called Octopussy. <laughs> uh, well, I got that one wrong then. <laughs> Speaking of which, yeah, the question that almost, uh, while Lee's typing out his answer, the question yeah. that I almost it's asked, and this is a little bonus for you at home, kids. Um, the In Goldfinger, uh, the ever popularly named Pussy Galore was one of the famous Bond, uh, I guess she became a Bond girl. Um, what was the name of her uh, outfit, her company? Uh, she had a, a quite a number of young women who flew at airplanes for her. If anyone remembers the name of her company, anyone want to take a stab at that? Not as an official question, just as a funsy. Uh, 
Yeah, Pussy Galore's Flying Circus, was it? Boom! Yes, that is it. Correct answer. Uh, and that was, yeah, almost the question. Sorry, Pete, you got that one. <laughs> you actually knew that one. I feel bad now. Uh, 21. Before switching, so I'm going to go back and I will talk about the questions. I'm actually going to read the answers this time. Before switching to the classic Walter PPK, uh, Bond's preferred weapon was a Beretta. Uh, in the 24 existing canon movies, he was shot and wounded exactly twice. One was in Thunderball, where he got shot in the ankle and then danced um, and pulled the quote-unquote bad Bond girl close to him, and she got shot instead. Uh, and the other was in the movie, as Pete said, where he gets shot by Money Penny on the top of an air on the top of a train. That would be Skyfall. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in question twenty-three, what two movies was Bond married? Uh, one was obviously Honor Majesty's Secret Service, where he married um, Diana Rigg, uh, or you know who famously was the wife whose um, tombstone we see in another movie at the beginning of For Your Eyes Only and who he talks about several times uh, over the the years. He's the romantic love, um, but he was married again to uh, a woman in You Only Live Twice um, as part of his ninja training after he had the surgery to look Japanese. Um, if I may point out, he had surgery to look Japanese, was given a bowl cut, and then um, in his fisherman disguise uh, as a Japanese fisherman, he and his new wife start climbing the side of a mountain, and halfway up the mountain, A, his disguise, and B, all of the plastic surgery and the bowl haircut disappear. Um, one of the most obvious boners in Bond history, and I just, I love it. Anyway, moving on. Um, what does Spectre stand for? Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. <laughs> Who's that guy who always does the announcements in the background of the Spectre base? Anyway, um, uh, what was the name for Ian Fleming's estate? It was Goldeneye. Uh-huh. Yeah, there you go. Well, shall we? Octopussy would have been better. Yeah, Octopussy would have been way better. Um, That or The Living Daylights or something bizarre. Anyway, let's go to the next category. And did we learn anything from Bolt Action? Lee, this one's, you wanted something more contemporary. Let's talk World War II. You ready? Here we go. Now, this is general World War II history. Now... Number 26, General McAuliffe was famously quoted as replying nuts to German requests for, the, for his surrender in December of 1944. Where was his troops, sorry, where were his troops defending? General McAuliffe famously was quoted for applying nuts to German requests for his surrender in December of 1944. Where were his troops defending? I, will, I would prefer the uh, sort of city and the country if possible, uh, but I will just take the city if that is what everyone gives me. Uh, 
And you all have it. Yes, it is. Yes, I will say the answer in a minute. 27. When did the famous Japanese, or should I say infamous, famous, depending on your point of view, Japanese sneak attack at Pearl Harbor occur? On what date did the attack on Pearl Harbor occur? Boom. I uh, I am impressed by everyone's knowledge because as much as I <laughs> always remember the uh, the day, I always get the year wrong. So there you go. 28. Now, in Bolt Action Version 1, one of the most maligned vehicles often complained about by players around the world on podcasts that you may have listened to on this network and others... Um, was the Chaffee. Everyone seemed to hate the Chaffee. And yet, I wonder if any of you happen to know what its U.S. letter number designation is. What is the Chaffee's letter number designation? For example, M16, which it is not. What is its letter number designation? All right. Number 29. Some of the worst city fighting in World War II took place in and around the city of Stalingrad. Now, Stalingrad sits on the bank of a major river. What is the name of the river that was fought in and around the Battle of Stalingrad? What was the name of the river? And if you'd like a hint, that the name of that river ties directly to what Stalingrad is named now. And for those of you who are um, finished, I am very excited about the Bolt Action free PDF that came out uh, as part of Warlord's Christmas celebration. And I am very looking forward to trying them out. Uh, I think that that looks like a lot of fun, the City Fighting PDF. Um, it looks like small-scale skirmish bolt action in a very fun way, and I cannot wait to try it, hopefully with one of you fine gentlemen yeah. soon. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. It's a good way, I think, to get some new people to try the game with small size forces. Yeah. You don't think it'll be a bit fiddly, the way uh, one die per, per model? Um, isn't it smaller groups of models, not one die per model? Or did I misread uh, it? I, I may be wrong. Yeah, I am very excited to, to give it a go, but um, I do need to take a really good look at it. Um, it's got a, quite a few scenario ideas in it. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Now, Lee, are you ready with the name of the river? Oh, you have. You've already done it. All right, moving on. Um, number 30. What was the name of the Anglo-American invasion of French North Africa that began on the 8th of November, 1942. Let me say that again. So the Anglo-American invasion of North Africa, invading specifically the French parts of North Africa, what was the name of the operation that began on the 8th of October, 1942? And you all got that. So if we learn anything from Bolt Action, number 26, 
of course, General McAuliffe and the U.S. paratroopers, amongst others, were defending Bastogne, Belgium. Uh, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. Oh. Uh, and the Chaffee is the M24. <laughs> Some of the worst sitting fighting happens in Stalingrad. The river is the Volga. Uh, and I would try and pronounce what uh, Stalingrad's called now, but my wife told me to not do that because my pronunciation was and I quote, that bad. Uh, number 30, what is the name of the operation? Of course, everyone knew Operation Torch. I wasn't going to go with something a little more obscure, something like Operation Tw Tiddlywinks, but I figured you might stab me. So um, let's go to a segment I like to call All Roads Lead Back to Rome. Now, uh, this particular section is all about Games Workshop uh, in particular. Now, We've talked on this podcast about how a lot of the people who are working specifically in independent game companies or smaller game companies uh, were trained um, and started their careers in the gaming world uh, working and or playing Games Workshop games. So it kind of makes sense to nod back to them. Uh, now, not all of you will know the answers to these. Sorry, Pete. Um, but there are five questions here relating to Games Workshop. Now... I would like to know what city contained the Imperial Artillery slash Gunnery School in the old Warhammer world of the Empire. In the Empire, in the old Warhammer world, what city held the Artillery slash Gunnery School, famously? fact that uh, tons of Empire players love to claim that was their city so they could put all of the countries in it. Sorry, all the cannons. I got <laughs> no Pete. It was not Detroit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was glorious. <laughs> I, I literally lost. I could not read out the question. Mm, 32. Um, out of the original 20 Space Marines uh, legions created by the Emperor, how many, and listen carefully here, how many were lost? and purged completely from imperial history. Now, I'm not talking about traitor legions, which then um, went rogue during the Horus Heresy. I'm talking about the original ones um, that whose primarchs were never known, and all of history was wiped prior to the Horus Heresy. And I've almost said, the, I've said, I've almost said it a bunch of times in just explaining the answer. How many legions were created and then lost and purged before the Her Horus Heresy. How many? And for a bonus point for you at home, um, or for, actually, you guys might know this, what legion numbers were they? A stab? Mm-hmm. So if the Dark Angels were the were Legion Roman numeral one, um, what were the Roman numerals of the Lost Legions, and how many were there? But the question is, how many were there? Bonus question: What were their Roman numerals? All right, got it. All right, here we go. 
And this is one for everyone except for possibly Pete. Sorry, Pete. Um, what is the strength <laughs> characteristic of a bolt gun? It's a classic. It never changes. And if it does, just imagine, because I may not be up on it, but I did ask a 40K player, a recent one, um, what is the strength characteristic of a bolt gun traditionally? It's just about always been the same. What is it? Still the same. Yeah, I, I figured. That's, that's what good friend of the show Michael Cruz said. So, uh, going to 34. Gotrex Gernison? Gotrex is slash was the most famous dwarf slayer in the Warhammer world and now in Age of Sigmar. Everyone knows him. He's killed all the stuff. What was the name of his human companion? I will give you half a point if you can give me his first name. I will give you a full point if you can give me his whole name. There we go. Got <laughs> no Peter. His companion was not named Dorothy. Um, sorry, buddy. Uh, you're not in Kansas anymore, Peter. <laughs> I just want to confirm you can't lose points, can you, Brad? <laughs> no, but if you make me laugh enough, I get happy. Now, I would like to point out that literally while I'm reading these questions, I was texted confirmation of the question that I was going to ask for 35, and now I'm going to ask. Um, from the man, the myth, the legend, friend of the show, Rick Priestley, has confirmed question number 35. So if you'll give me a second I'm to explain. I'm feeling honored. Yes. Um, classic... I'm feeling I'm going to waste Rick's time. <laughs> well, it's for, you, 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 you listen to the show enough. You should, hopefully you'll get this. So, All right. um, now... There, there was a classic specialist game called Warmaster, which was like essentially, if you want to think of it as almost epic Warhammer fantasy battle. It was very small scale, but it played completely different from epic. It was, uh, it was an innovative system at the time when it came out, and a lot of people really enjoyed playing it, including myself. Uh, it was later adapted by Jervis Johnson, friend of Rick Priestley, um, and used to improvise uh, play of games using toy soldiers uh, created by the Perrys. It was then reworked by the original author, uh, which was Rick Priestley, into a modern war game. What game is Warmaster? What has it morphed into today by its original author, Rick Priestley? What game is Warmaster today? I'll give you a hint. It has nothing to do with fantasy. I'm talking about the base rules. And while they are writing their answers, I would like to take this time to thank Rick Priestley very much for replying, and I hope he has a very happy new year as well. Thank you, Rick. Happy New Year, especially since he's replying on New Year. I do feel like a tool that he's calling me back. All right. We Thanks, have Rick. answers. And Lee, we are good. Uh, Warmaster41K. War 
actually played Warmaster. I had a dwarf army. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's um, a great game. And I liked the mechanics and everything, mm-hmm. but I just didn't have a player base in yeah. my group. Um, well, so I barely got to play it. So. Lee, I played Undead, and if you ever want to play Warmaster, uh, there are plenty of companies out there that make uh, small-scale fantasy models these days, and uh, I'm pretty sure... I could dry brush up a skeleton horde in about five seconds flat. So, yeah. Ooh, let's talk after this. There may be some Warmaster content coming to Cast Ice in 2020, kids. Woohoo! Uh, so, let's talk shop, shall we? Uh, if we go back to question 31, what city held the Imperial Gunnery slash Artillery School? Um, I chose this specifically because it is one of the most purchased. Its name is on the bottle of one of the most purchased Games Workshop pots of paint, Nuln. Uh, Nuln Oil is named after the gunnery school in Nuln, FYI. Uh, 32. Out of the original 20 Space Marine Legions created by the Emperor, how many were lost? There were two Marine Ah. chapters lost. And for those keeping track at home, and I tried to answer this question, and I was way wrong. Uh, it, I did get two, but I did not get that it was the 2nd and 11th Legion. So there you go. What is the strength characteristic of a bolt gun? It is four, and it has always been four. And Pete, I will accept four plus, because that is the current uh, nom- nomenclature for that sort of thing. Uh, yes! Gotrex Gernison. Uh, Did you fam- feel that shift? Pete West just got a GW answer right. <laughs> Here it comes. Um, <laughs> so I do. I do love that uh, you were very close. Well, you got the first part, Lee, for Gotrex's companion. Uh, no, well, yes, it's Felix, but his last name was Jaeger, like the hunter, um, not Empire Man. I did like the uh, I did like the nod there. That was nice. Um, now, Warmaster lives on today and is put out by Warlord Games in a very different setting. It is Black Powder. Oh, really? Yep. Uh, uh, something I was surprised to find out on the Warlord cast when I was interviewing Rick before. I was shocked to discover that. I am shocked that uh, Games Workshop let anything out of its doors, um, but they did, and it went with Rick when he left, and it was readapted. Yeah. By Jervis. The things with rules. The things with rules, though, is you can't actually uh, copyright the IP of rules. You can right. copyright how they're presented and how they're worded, but the mechanics themselves, um, you can't actually put IP over them. Boom. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I was absolutely blown away, and it makes me want to play Black Powder more every day. I just never want to paint the models. Um, I'm a slow <laughs> painter, and that is uh, Napoleonic's new. Uh, All right, Will Gang, we are down to one last category before our next point check-in. Will Pete's knowledge of Games Workshop get him over the line? Or will the Games Workshop round mean that he is sunk as both longtime players of uh, Games Workshop games, Lee and Dave? Gotta jump ahead. Let's find out. Now, this this is one that intentionally is here to give everyone a little general knowledge. So this one's called A Million Worlds to Explore. And this is questions about popular science fiction and fantasy novels, comic books, and intellectual property. Number 36. Robert E. Howard 
was a prolific American-slash-Texan author who wrote Pulp Fiction in a huge, diverse range of genres. All of that said, and he did have many famous characters, one was by far his most famous. Who was Robert E. Howard's most famous literary creation? Who was... It's Sonia. (laughs) Close. And no, Peter, it was not Howard the Duck. Um, I do love that Howard the Duck is in Endgame. Uh, I do have to say that uh, I I actually was told that was there, went to uh, Disney+, Plus. Went to the that part, the final battle, and as the Ravager slash Reaver pirates are coming out of the portals at the very end, right before Steve Rogers yells, Avengers assemble, Howard the Duck is standing in the background in a business suit carrying a huge effing gun. Made my <laughs> day. Um, all right. 34. What? Uh, now, Robert E. Howard, famous friends with, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. In H.P. Lovecraft's universe, what famed texts dealing, uh, detailing the old ones and their history was purportedly authored by the, and I'm massively quoting this here, air quotes, Mad Arab Abdul Al-Harazed? Who, or sorry, what was the name of the text? detailing the old ones and their history. It's mentioned in quite a few of his short stories. All right. Now, number 38. As mentioned on several episodes of Cast Ice, what is the name of the main character in Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash? Now, there are several, so let me be specific. It is the pizza-delivering hacker samurai. What is his name? What is the name of the main character in Snow Crash? Specifically, the pizza-delivering samurai hacker. <laughs> no, Donatello was his friend, the, the, the girl <laughs> that he's with. Yes. I was thinking Ninja Turtles. Donatello's the technical one. <laughs> oh, he is. I was thinking Mikey, yeah. Because uh, his his companion in uh, the novel, uh, Whitey, is a, um, I believe she, I can't remember what, is she Italian? I, I, I can't remember. She hangs out with, uh, I think Uncle Enzo is his name. But she's a skateboarding uh, enthusiast who um, hitches rides on cars with giant suction cups and then rides around after them. Um, and she and they meet because uh, in the middle of a car chase, uh, she hitches onto the back of Hero's car. Anyway. Uh, oh, Snake Plissken. Good guess. No. Uh, so what is the name? Sorry, 39. What is the name of the judge who famously helps Judge Dredd Battle the Dark Judges in the 2000 AD comic. I'll give you a hint. She can read minds. What is the psychic, what is the name of the psychic judge who famously assists Dredd, if not does it, and Dredd stands in the background looking menacing, 
um, who helps win the battle against the Dark Judges in the 2000 AD comic. She may make an appearance in other 2000 AD media. What is her name? Good thing I, good thing I played the new Dread game on Friday. Yes, you know. Mm-hmm. And she is a new release from Warlord Games. Hashtag. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Sorry, Lee. I don't know if she was Judge Judy. Um, <clears throat> the only woman judge I know. That's right. That's right. And number Fictional, of course. Exactly. Now, uh, here's another two-pointer. Uh, and I know I said there was only a few two-pointers. I'm adding a couple just to make life interesting. Um, uh, here's a two-pointer for you. For one point, in the original Lord of the Rings novel, um, as in the first of the three, what is the password to gain entrance through the magical door if you are trying to get into the Mines of Moria? What do you need to say to get in the magic door? One point for the English translation. One point, if you can, additional point, if you can tell me what it is in Elvish. And yes, it's Elvish. What is the password that you need to? It is one word. No, it's not knock knock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. Uh damn Dave. Ooh, someone just got some points. Hike. So guys, I gotta ask you, how do you think you're going? I haven't haven't told you your scores yet. Uh Pete, how you feeling after that round? I know there was the games workshop stuff in there. You feeling confident? Oh, look, after getting that four-plus bolter answer right, I'm ready to retire on top. <laughs> oh, man. Dave, how about you? Oh, I think until Tolkien turned up, I was in real trouble. Yeah, man. You, man, you've got some good answers in there. Are you kidding? Um, I do have to say, and uh, bringing us to last, Lee, how are not last place, but last, how are you, uh, how are you feeling over there? I feel like I should have watched more Bond films in my time. I feel like that is a rookie mistake that you should uh, fix right away. Um, I do have to say, though, that your answer for Spectre is fantastic. Special Purpose Energy Corporation Terraforming Regional Environs. That's actually, that's actually an excellent... I'm going to give you a point for that because... That's pretty good. That is actually pretty damn yeah. good. It's not coming um, as last. Yeah, well, Judge Judy also made me snort um, fishy water <laughs> out of my nose. So I, I think the bonus point was also for that. So uh, now, uh, drum roll at home if you're listening. So uh, in third place, uh, even though he just got a point, he's very close behind. Lee, you are sitting pretty at 16 total points. Uh, you are now one point behind in second place. Dave, that is you at 17. And, uh, man, that four-plus on the bolter took you over the top, Pete. You are eight, uh, 19 and a half. Again, those halves, man, are getting you over the line. So there we go. Peter is the one to beat in the last 20 questions, guys. And remember, there is still bonus. Are you ready? Yep. Yep, bring it on. All right, here we go. Lee, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. All right. No more Bond questions. Although, Lee, this, this section might be very easy or very hard for you. Uh, you seem to like some of this stuff. So uh, good luck because this is 
the golden age of comics, cartoons, and toys. Questions relating to major franchises of the 1980s and 1990s. Still feeling happy, Lee? No. No. Okay, here we go. Number 41. What is the name of the Masters of the Universe character whose action figure featured a head that allowed you to rotate and change his face? What is the name of the Masters, that's He-Man, Masters of the Universe, character whose action feature action figure featured a head that allowed you to rotate it and in the process change his face. Incidentally, he is my favorite Masters of the Universe toy. I did get him for Christmas one year. Was very excited. Incidentally... Was that only like two years ago? (laughs) It was this year. Um, I got some cool... Look, I'm actually uh, on my desk right now is a book that I got for Christmas this year, is What Would Skeletor Do? Diabolical Ways to Master the Universe. I cannot wait to have the time to sit down and read that. It is brilliant. I'm flicking over to Amazon now. Yes. Uh, Book book depository, free shipping to Australia. Hashtag, I got it there. Anyway, um, 42. Oh, I have to actually check to see everyone answered. Uh, Ooh. Oh, Dave Monroe. Great answer. Uh, I'm loving the the classic nod. Uh, this is Masters of the Universe, however. So Janice might go over the head of every kid ever. However, great reference. Yeah. And Pete, love the I Batman Two-Face. Loving it. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, we'll let, we'll let you know if Lee got that one, though, in a minute. Now, if you listen to the recent episode talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the very first issue of the comic ever where they uh, fought, killed people, drank beer, and bled, um, you would know the answer to this question. But for those who didn't, suffer. Uh, In the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics and art, because this is way before the cartoon ever happened, all of the turtles had the same headband. Their, their, Their headbands were all the same. They were red. Now, the authors of the book had a favorite character, and that character is the one that got to keep the original color. What turtle got to keep the original turtle's color? Which of the four turtles? I may have said the color out loud by accident. I didn't mean to. Which was the one I spelt wrong, or is that a question that's coming up? That is not a question that's coming up. Uh, they that is a wonderful segue, Dave. Thank you. Um, I believe it was uh, it was Michelangelo that they misspelled, and they, oh. as continuity wise, they kept it misspelled for years and years and years, and only eventually fixed it. Um, now, of course, all four turtles were named after uh, Renaissance art uh, artists, and now we have. Everyone with interesting yeah, there's spellings. There's a fifth turtle, Titian, Titian Best. What? I don't know that one. I thought you were going to say something like, um, uh, trying to think of another artist right now. Um, Zeppo. Pollock. Okay. Yes, I was trying to say Pollock. <laughs> anyway. Now, this one's a little down a dark hole. And some of you are going to say this is the easiest question out there, and the rest of you are going to give me the finger. I'm sorry. 
it's the 80s. Um, in the cartoon, Mask, the leader of Mask, the good guys, was a guy named Matt Tracker. He flew around in a T-bird, or not a T-bird, a, uh, an IROC with the wind that went up, with dull wing doors and the whole thing. And he occasionally rode around in the rhino rig with his other buddies. Um, now, he had a son who, in the cartoon and in the comic, was always stepping you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time and was getting into trouble, usually around the bad guys. He's essentially the dumb version of Penny from Inspector Gadget. Um, now, he had a robot that kept him company named T-Bob. And T-Bob could transform into a motorcycle. Now, after all of that, what was the name of that annoying kid who always was getting into trouble? What was the name of Matt Tracker's son? And Lassie should have pushed this kid down a well. Anyway, moving on. Um, what was the name of Matt Tracker's son? Timmy. <laughs> no, it was not Timmy Tracker. <laughs> I love you guys. Oh, dear Lord. <clears throat> All right. In the Transformers universe, the, one of my favorite Decepticons, Soundwave, um, could eject tapes that transformed themselves. Now, he had several tapes. In fact, many tapes that he could eject. However, of all the texts... Uh, all the tapes he could eject, only one of them looked like a condor. What was the name of the tape that transformed into the condor? Or should I say the mini cassette? Now, while the guys are writing this, I absolutely loved uh, this. And I had uh, Soundwave as a kid. And it was a fantastic toy. And uh, interestingly... I also had, um, sorry, I just realized that Dave gave me the finger via the, um, I had, a, I had a bunch of actual micro cassettes and they actually fit in Soundwave. Of course, Soundwave didn't actually play, but, um, that is why to this day people get confused between the little transforming tapes and the actual mini cassettes. Um, although besides the FBI, I don't know who's using, uh, mini cassettes these days and I'm sure they're not either. Um, and no, David Dude. Lee Roth is not the name of <laughs> Soundwave's ejecting tape. Uh, I, I was always more of a perceptor kid because, you know, his microscope actually worked. Yes, right? Mm. So good. Uh, I also love Jetfire, who was the Robotech jet um, that was bastardized and sold not only to Transformers fans, but Battletech fans as well. Everyone seemed to have the same <laughs> toy under a different name. Uh, now, Pete. I'm not going to lie. This question is literally for you. And if you get it wrong, you're going to break my hat. <laughs> In the G.I. Joe universe, Cobra's Crimson Guard are commanded by a pair of twins. Now, in both the comic and the cartoon, they were named Tomax and Zamot. Which of the two twins, Tomax or Zamot, who were perfectly mirror images of one another, um, one of them had one distinguishing feature. Which of the twins had a scar on his cheek? <laughs> Tomax or Zamot? And I'm waiting to see oh, you guys spell this. And their names are backward, in case you're wondering. They're mirror images. So, which of the twins, Tomax 
or Zaymon had a scar on his cheek. And if I got a middle finger from Dave before, I'm expecting one now. <laughs> oh, right. this, is the, this is the 80s now, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I was at university, dude. Sorry. <laughs> Jeepers. Mm. Well, here I'm we go. Girls by then. <laughs> well, I was still reading G.I. Joe in university. What were you doing? To be fair, I've uh, been as well. But mm, This is a family show, yeah. so uh, yeah, we'll wait for a later. <laughs> True. I remember lay-buying G.I. Joe figures at the local toy store in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, nice. Save up my pocket money to buy. Good work. Oh, that's evil. Why would they take it? Lobo's not really. A, yeah, that was a thing, wasn't it? Uh, I guess so. What is it? What is, what's that called these days? The um, afterpay. The afterpay. Yeah, afterpay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, let's get into the questions here. Uh, number 41. What was the name of the Ma- Masters of the Universe character whose action figure featured a head that allowed you to rotate it? Um, and to change his face, you ready for this? Lee got it. Many faces. Uh, Masters of the Universe is a very literal cartoon. Yes, it, yep. it does what it says on, on the, the box. <laughs> it's either a pun or it's literal. Yeah. Yep. The, uh, the skunk guy was Stinkor. And there are reports that in the 80s, if you bought the Stinkor toy... He, he smelled like a skunk. Like it, it looked, he looked like yeah. a skunk. And but it, it, the rumor is that if you still have a stinkor in a box and you open the box, you can still smell him. Um, <laughs> what the hell did they put on that toy? Anyway, um, in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics, uh, one of the turtles uh, had the original headband. I did slip and say what color it was. It was red. Um, for those who know your turtles, that is Raphael. And he was by far the uh, creator's favorite character out of the four. Um, Personally, I was always a Leonardo guy, but I think that's because I read too much Captain America. Uh, 43. In the cartoon Mask, the leader of Mask, Matt Tracker, he had a son who was annoying. His son was Scott. Scott Tracker. Uh, Scott is a generally annoying name. (laughs) Hey, you're (laughs) friends with Scott's. Several Scott's. Yeah, there you go. No I comment. stand by my state. <laughs> <laughs> Your name's Scott. Finally. Uh, 44. In the Transformers universe, uh, Soundwave ejected tapes. The one that looked like a flying condor is Laserbeak. Uh, again, a very original name because he had a gun in his mouth. Uh, in 19, uh, sorry, question 45. In the G.I.J. universe, which of the twins had a scar on his cheek? It was Zaymont. Not damn, 50% chance you did, right? And that's why I was figuring if you don't have any idea, if you were in college talking to girls, at least you had a 50% chance on that one. Um, by the way, Pete, you didn't break my heart. Thank you. Uh, that would have been, that would have been, <laughs> yes, I do what I can. Now, this is a proudly an Australian podcast, and in the immortal words of ACDC, this next section is called Who Made Who. Uh, This is a section where uh, we're going to talk about which gaming companies made or make these games. Now, some of these will be classic games. Some of these will be current games. So uh, it is a little mixed bag, and there may be a little something else in the middle. So let's go to 46. In 1984's release, Battle Droids, uh, I talked about it earlier, Uh, It was published, but then had to be re-released because of uh, copyright 
infringement slash name problems. And it was rebranded as Battletech uh, the following year. So in 1985, Battletech 2nd Edition, which was technically Battletech 1st Edition, came out. What company put these out? I'll give you a hint. It was the same company that was responsible for a huge number of Battletech books uh, and the original games before that company went under and was picked up by several companies since then. So I'm not asking who's currently putting out Battletech. That's Catalyst. I'm asking who originally put it out. What was the classic game company? They used to do some really good traveler stuff too. Yes, they did. No, hence, hence, I think Pete's changing his answer now. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, so, the old 80s logos. Yeah. They, uh, and they did some great stuff, Dave, uh, including some other games that I can't wait till people answer. So, well, maybe when we start answering the questions, I can start talking about some of the other great games that company made. And when I was a kid, um, because I got Battletech, City Tech, and then Aerotech, again, really originally named boxes back then, um, but they were basically expansions of the same game. They were all just slightly different variations. Um, I loved watching, you know, looking at the catalogs that would come in those boxes and seeing the other things that company came out with. And man, I always wished I had more money to mess around with yeah, their yeah. stuff. Yeah, those catalogs were ice. Right? <laughs> the old oh. school boxes. And man, the art for some of those games was phenomenal. However, the art for some of those games was also literally the worst I've ever seen in any game company. So, <laughs> you know, it was great for that. Um, Lee, you're going to have a stab at this one, my good man? Yeah. All right. Submitted. Ooh, good guess. And by that, I mean that is a time period. Yeah. Um, yep. It was the Cold War, but it was not Cold War games. Number 47. What is the name of Alessio Calvatore's gaming company right now. What is it? He has gone sort of, I wouldn't say rogue, but he's, uh, he's gone <laughs> solo. Freelance, um, freelance. And he freelances, yes, for many game companies. What is the name of his gaming company? Mm-hmm. Now, number, while you guys are answering this, number 50 was a question uh, asking which of the following games that Alessio Calvatore not have a hand in working on. And I literally wrote 10 games, and then I realized that he'd actually been a part of all 10 of them. And then <laughs> besides War Machine, I couldn't think of a single game the man has not had a hand in. And then as I Google searched other games, he'd actually been somewhere on the process of every single one of them. And I gave up, I scrapped the question, and I instead gave us the name of what is the name of his company. But yes, there we go. Um, Lee, you going to have a stab at Alessio's company? Uh, no idea. Uh, Is there bonus points for naming the purple hippo? No. Because <laughs> I don't uh, even know the answer to that one. Uh, okay. And it's not anything to do with ponies either, thank God. Um, number 48. Now, this one's a little bit of a left-field one, and it's something I don't think I've ever talked about on Cast Dice, but it is a game that has been around for a long time, and The Legend of the Five Rings, intellectual property, has changed hands several times over the years and has traveled to many game companies. 
Who currently holds the license for The Legend of the Five Rings intellectual property? Who currently has the license to make uh, Legend of the Five Rings content? Mm. Ironically, it's another company whose stuff I like to look at pictures of because they do art extraordinarily well. Uh, and um, yeah, I don't want to give away anything else. And Dave, did you answer that? Yeah, I did. But uh, your comment just made me think I got it wrong. Uh, okay. Uh, cubicle, cubicle 7. Um, is that actually a game company? Or is that just some random desk? No, they produce um, uh, Actung Cthulhu. Oh, of course. Um, they, they had the Lord of the Rings license yes. for a little while. But I think they just lost it. They did one ring. They did. So, yeah, they're, they're no, a real right. game company. You are absolutely right. I knew the name sounded familiar, and I was wondering if it was an office reference. It has been a long day. Um, 49. Through its, uh, though it is distributed by many companies and st online stores these days, uh, Graham Davies' personal uh, company is the one that has recently put out the second edition of Test of Honor. What is the name of Grand, Graham Davies' personal company that has recently put out the second edition of Test of Honor? It is a game that I desperately want to play, and though I own a lot of samurai, I'm wondering if contrast paints and samurai are going to go well, because I have a bunch of old samurai. I think it'll be fun. But um, the game looks good. I need to play it. Now, looks like we are all just about there. Yes, perfect. The last question, number 50. The last question of the official questions is, recently I have had the lovely Andy Hobday on Cast Ice. In fact, it was a little while ago. Um, it, on his appearance, or during his appearance, he talked about the upcoming... Uh, expansion to Mortal Gods called Mortal Gods Mythic. And since that time, he has been talking about slash leaking pictures of monsters that Footsore Miniatures uh, will be putting out with the release of Mortal Gods Mythic. What are some of the monsters? Name one. What is a monster that they have shown a picture of that is coming out as part of that release. I'll give you a hint. They are all absolutely gorgeous. That's not a hint. That's a description. <laughs> uh, mortal gods, there's your hint. So, yeah, there you go. And that is the end of the official questions. Now... If you are a new new to this podcast, these next bonus questions probably aren't going to mean a lot to you. However, uh, the questions I was encouraged uh, by several people who I spoke to, including the uh, young Peter West, who is uh, currently in the lead of without having totaled up the last 20, I should say, um, he did want some classic podcast questions. So I did not want to make this part of the official game. Um, oh, I need to go back and give you the answers to these things. Sorry, guys. Um, I keep forgetting to do that. So, um, who made who? Uh, number 46, the company that put out Battletech and Battle Droids was FASA. 
and they had some of the prettiest uh, gaming catalogs in the 80s. They were so good. That said, some of their internal art was just diabolic. It was awful. Um, and having recently gone back to a lot of old Battletech books, it's literally, it hurts when you open the book. It's like it's the, the picture reaches out and punches you in the face. Uh, now, 47, what is the name of Alessio Calvatore's gaming company? River Horse Games. A river Horse, of course, being a hippo. Um, and what is the name of that purple hippo? I was just being a smart ass. I think it's George, but I'm not oh, is it? don't quote me. But isn't it a guy on the horse, on the hippo, on the water horse? No, no, no. There's a they, they do this, this River Horse does this um cartoon sort of series which they publish, I think like weekly or something, yeah. where they've got a character who's the hippo who sort of comments on the company. <laughs> nice. Nice. But they also have a serious logo that's the hippo. And isn't yeah, there a guy in a suit of armor riding on a hippo? Am I making that up? That I, sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, Legend of the Five Rings, of course, has been passed around uh, all over the place. It is. Uh, it was originally, I believe, attached to Oriental Adventures, the uh, Dungeons & Dragons TSR expansion. Um, but has evolved and changed so many times over the years. And the person who currently, or the company that currently owns it, um, or at least the subsidiary company that runs it, is Fantasy Flight Games. Um, Esmode owns them, but none of you put Esmode, so I'm going to accept Fantasy Flight. Um, And though it is distributed by many, Graham Davies' company uh, is called, and one of you was very close, it is called Gray For Now Games. That's right. Yeah. It's all right. Um, And name one of the monsters. The ones that I have seen and I'm very excited about are the Hydra and the Cyclops. Uh, Now, you guys put Minotaur and Gorgon. Now, I'm not going to claim to be uh, having seen everything, although I'm pretty sure I would have seen it if a Gorgon or a Minotaur was released. Were those guesses or have you guys seen something that I should look up right now? Yeah, I confess I was not aware there was a supplement on the way. (laughs) I'm so excited. I would have also accepted skeletons because they have shown pictures of skeletons out there, and they do look cool. So shall we get to the bonus questions, gentlemen? These are entirely egocentric, so uh, I am sorry if you are listening to this. These all have to do with the LRDG. They have to do with boltaction.net. They have to do with... Oh, man. Uh, LRDG2, uh, Bolt Action Radio, all of the original podcasts that even uh, sort of fed into this podcast existence at this moment. Number one, what did WWPD originally stand for before they were issued a cease and desist letter and had to change their name specifically to WWPD? It used to be that the entire acronym was written out and it was the slogan, but they had to change it after they got a cease and desist letter. What did WWPD stand for? Who sent them a cease and desist letter? I've got to hear that story later. Yes. Well, I, I, will, uh, I will exactly say who that is. In fact, all of you, I think... Or at least most of you have gotten the question, so I can probably tell you the answer to that one in a minute. What basis would you issue a cease and desist? Look, I only work here, man, America, right? 
And I say that <laughs> as an American. Um, <laughs> what would Peter Shift West do? Shift your server to a <sighs> third world nation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no problem. Post it somewhere else. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, I do love uh, Dave. Uh, I may have to give you a, a question. What would a bonus point for what would Peter West do? That was brilliant. Um, <laughs> uh, number two, who was the very first guest to ever appear on the official Warlord Games podcast? There were two. I will give you half a point for either of them. There were two guests on the original Warlord Games podcast. Two guests. Who were they? Half a point each. <laughs> Lee, I don't know if you spelled that right. Want me to read? No, I'm kidding. I, spelling is not something that I would ever. There you go. Submitted the correct spelling. <laughs> right on. Uh, all right. Number three. And uh, this is a little gross self-promotion, so I hope you're paying attention at home, kids. What is the name of the newest podcast on the What is a Battle slash Cast Dice podcast network? And I did mention it at the beginning. What is the name of the newest podcast on the What is a Battle slash Cast Dice podcast network? I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Uh, I did. And didn't you just release the latest episode, Brad? I did. Thank you for noticing, Peter. That was very <laughs> nice of you. And in fact, I played a game with uh, the co-host today, and uh, we discussed the third episode, which will be coming out in the next week or two. And we're going to be talking to some of the lovely gentlemen uh, at Hall of Heroes in Sydney about uh, an upcoming Star Wars Legion event that they will be having. But yes, Wonderful. St Star Wars. I hope you are listening, gang. Um, <laughs> something, something, something dark side. I mean, Star Wars. Uh, Dave, brilliant. <laughs> Love it. Um, <clears throat> now, the next question, number four, is a trick question. So listen carefully. Who were the original members of the LRDG podcast? I'll accept names. I'll accept monikers. But who were the original members of the LRDG podcast? It's a trick question. Nothing but Star Wars. Fighting those Star Wars. Ah, oh, yes. Those were the days. Boom. And we are starting to see the answers. Yes. And no, Pete West was not one of the original LRDG. <laughs> I just remember you've been around that long. Write that down. <laughs> you were playing back when it first came out, though, Pete, right? You were there back in the day. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, you were there from day dot, I remember. I was there from the bar, so... <laughs> yes. In fact, I'm glad you said that, because to segue heavily into number five, uh, Judd and Dano had two bolt-action podcasts. Uh, both of these podcasts started out independently and predated anything that I podcasted about bolt-action. However, um, 
they became part of an organization called BoltAction.net, of which uh, the LRDG became uh, sister parts of, and I started editing. So uh, technically, I was the silent member of those two podcasts that Judd and Dano did, because I mixed them. What were those two podcasts? I'll give you a hint. One of them was public. One of them you had to uh, subscribe to. What were the two Bolt Action podcasts that Judd and Dano did back in the day? What were they? It does make me sad. I did love the days of listening to those shows. They had wonderful rapport. And then, uh, of course, they were both on the Star Wars Armada podcast, uh, Intensified Fire for Forward Firepower, which was a fantastic podcast, you know, had Steve McLaughlin and all those guys. Um, Eric, uh, man, so many great names on that show. And um, I did love that I was on 20-something episodes of that podcast. Never once said a word. Which, if you listen to this network, you'll know that is an absolute... (sighs) I never get a word in edgewise. But... uh, And I'm looking at this, and it looks like everyone has put them down. Uh, yes. Uh, Lee, are you going to put down your second one, or are you not sure? I have no idea. Okay. Unless you know, I'm not sure you're going to guess that one. Before my time. Yeah. Yes. Um, unless you're a paid subscriber, like someone at... I wasn't. I, I mixed it. <laughs> That's how I listened to it. I actually... Yeah. <laughs> oh, were you a paid subscriber? I was indeed. Nice. Good man. Good man. Um, I don't think I had the capability of paying on the internet back then because I'm old. Um, <laughs> Dave, you've answered the questions, right? I did. Yes. Somewhat randomly, but yeah. That's all right. That's all right. Now, bonus question six. And this is a, a good one for how well have you been listening over the years. Speaking of classic games... Um, if you listen to Cast Dice several times, and I'm pretty sure in uh, the Warlord cast and in the LRDG2 over the years, I have said there is a classic game that I have repeatedly commented about that you need to have. Um, it requires a community college degree in the subject in order to figure out how to play the damn thing. What classic game is so complex you need a community college degree to figure out how to play the damn thing? That is my uh, quote that I've said about it many times. What game is it? And that just leaves... Trying to work out what education level a community college degree is. It's not not so much that as so much as it is. It is so impossible to learn that you basically need to go take a class in it. Um, you can't just pick it up and read it. It reads, to quote Beetlejuice, um, like a stereo manual, uh, and not in a good way. So uh, if you don't, it, it probably it's a pretty obscure game, but I've mentioned it quite a few times over the years. So oh, if you know I it, remember what it is now. yeah, I would say if you know it, you know it. If you don't, yeah. And Pete, looks like you're getting half a point because you are so close. My second answer, not my first answer. Yeah, no, I got you. I knew what you were getting at. If you had been born and raised a gamer in Australia, the answer to that question would be DBMM. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't don't even know what that is, so there you go. Um, And the last, very last question, 
is I was known for saying one thing again and again and again when I was trying to uh, herd the freight train that was the conversation on the LRDG podcast. I would say one thing again and again when I was trying to rein the conversation back onto topic. I would always say the same word. What word did I say? Actually, I guess it's technically two, but the way I said it, it was one. Loudly. And in case you're wondering how bad the old LRGG could have been, um, it is the podcast that proudly got the entire WWPD podcast network, which included a crapload of podcasts back then. Um, We got thrown off of iTunes twice because uh, the Mouth of Madness could not stop talking about things like the taste of prostate on World War II podcasts. <laughs> and I would have to say the same damn thing over and over again. And for those who listen to this podcast, I do love a tangent. Now, if I'm the one reining it back in, imagine what it was like. Thankfully, those episodes are lost to time. But gentlemen, have you written the last question? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's actually a really good guess, Lee. Uh, I will say it is not Family Show. Um, uh. Family Show did not come about until the Ghost Army podcast. There was nothing family-oriented about uh, the LRDG in its original incarnation. Uh, we, yeah. Well, <laughs> look at me, Kimmy, look at me. Uh, no, that wasn't it either. Uh, and with that, I will segue back to by saying, moving on. Ah. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, shall we go to the bonus questions? Uh, what did WWPD originally stand for? What would Patton do? Uh, the family of George Patton uh, wrote a cease and desist letter to uh, the WWPD network asking them to cease and desist the use of Patton uh, immediately uh, in any way, shape, or form. And so they did, but kept WWPD. That's remarkable and remarkably thin-skinned. <laughs> well, you know, there was some loose units back then. I mean, Judd, Dano, Steve McLaughlin, all of the the guys from the uh, Flames of War community. Look, I, mean, I could get it, you know. Given, given Patton was a foul-mouthed psycho, it seems to me <laughs> that um, it was an entirely appropriate um, testimony. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is funny being friends with uh, a few people who are relatives of some pretty big uh, Japanese war heroes from way back in World War II. Um, maybe it's because they didn't win the war, but they aren't nearly as precious about that. But yeah, <laughs> moving on. Um, uh, number two, who was the very first guest to ever appear on the official Warlord game? Well, the first one would, of course, be Paul Sawyer, a.k.a. Fat Bloke. And the other one would be Lee. Hi, Lee. How are you? Here we Yay. go. I got that one. <laughs> Which is why I asked. Just thinking who the second guest was, though. Yeah, well, because we recorded my part and then I left. <laughs> that's true. Um, Lee, showing off the premises. Yeah, pretty much. No, I had to give uh, Lee the point because he did have to sit and patiently wait while I set everything up for that episode because it was not. It's one of those days that the planets just did not align technologically. So that was your gimme, Lee. Thank you. Um, so I'm hoping it wasn't his name he was misspelling. <laughs> no, that I was making a joke. He wrote me. Um, <laughs> so 
Uh, number three, what was the name of the, or what is the name of the newest podcast? Uh, it is, of course, Beyond the First Marker, which is an Empire Strikes Back reference. Um, who were the original members of the LRDG podcast? I think uh, most of you ironically put Patch, but no, Patch didn't appear till much later. Um, it was Dave of War, myself, and the Mouth of Madness. Uh, Tobu, Warlord Tobu, was a regular and appeared in most of the episodes. I think there were 21 LRDGs in the end. Um, and in the 21, I believe Tobu was on 15 of them. But I don't think he appeared until episode 5. Um, so yeah, fun fact. Um, now, Judd and Dano had two bolt-action podcasts. One was, of course, BAR, bolt-action radio, or as we like to say in Boston, the bah. Uh, but the other after-hours show was Speakeasy, um, where, yep, Dano would get in the tub, and uh, the boys would uh, sip an alcoholic beverage and talk about bolt action. And those were, and they were super crunchy, and it was a really exciting time in the game back then. And I hung on every single one of those words. Now, number six, uh, what classic game, uh, Starfleet Battles? which is the Star Trek game, which was absolutely awful. And as a kid, I desperately wanted to play because Wrath of Khan was one of my favorite movies as a kid. And my God, I still can't figure out how to play that game. And of course, the last question was moving on, which is what I yelled at Lachlan, that poor man, about a million times, usually before slapping him. Um, I have, uh, I think there's audio evidence of me physically assaulting that good man one too many times on the air. Um, and I have made the mistake of doing the same thing to Dave of War, and he now owes me. And so if you've met Dave of War, who's the size of a house, I am regretting the day. At some point, he's going to take my head off because I am not nearly uh, as young and sprightly as I was as when I thought it was a good idea to slap Dave on the knee. Anyway, moving on. Uh, let's go to the scoring, shall we, gentlemen? Well, guys, the scores are totaled. We will have to see who did what. Now, Pete, you were in the lead. Are you still feeling comfortable and confident after that round? You did have the 80s toys in there, so I know that helped. I was feeling good after the bolter, but um, the fact that I couldn't remember moving on has shaken me to the core. That should have been burnt (laughs) onto my brain. Uh, I did have somebody, I haven't been to an event out of state in quite a while, but I was in the middle of playing a game of Malifaux in Sydney at Moab three years ago, and I heard someone run up behind me and yell, moving on, and it, I forgot I said it, and then it pretty much, you know, A, I almost br- busted out of my skin running away, but also B, it was like, oh God, I did say that. <laughs> um, now, Dave... How are you yes. feeling? You were in second place, but I think you were too busy uh, talking to girls uh, to answer. Oh, some look, of I these. think yeah, look, those two points were going to be going to be a lot to uh, catch up to overtake Pete there. So uh, yeah, a bit worried about that. Yeah, yeah. And Lee, you were in last place. Do you think uh, do you think you have it in you to? I know you had some of those '80s questions. I know you were talking about age, but you knew quite a few of those toy questions, Ooh. my friends. I don't think it's going to got me up enough. Okay. Okay. Well, here we go. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, of course, I have to uh, thank you at home for playing along. Um, Now, remember, the object here for our guests, at least Lee set the standard earlier on, is to try and get 50%. 
And I'll tell you this, gentlemen, one of you did. Oh, only one. <laughs> only one. But all of you were close. And if I may point out, uh, in both of my appearances at uh, Beyond the First Marker, I have gotten four out of ten. So, uh, yeah. I am proud to say that if we extrapolate the numbers uh, and make it out of 100 instead of 50, you are in the same ballpark that I am. So thank you very much for confirming my faith in myself. I appreciate it. Um, but yes, again, I also have to thank you for coming on. As I said earlier, it is impossible. Uh, it is impossible to remember anything when you're put on the spot, let alone uh, when you know people are making bad jokes and droning on endlessly to fill empty air in the background. Hi, guys. Uh, so, guys, seriously, great work. Thank you so much for coming on. And as always, thank you for supporting the uh, the madness that is my independent weird ideas on how we can celebrate New Year's. So, happy New Year. Uh, in third place, a man who uh, has done very well, uh, although that last round did get him a little bit. I'm sorry to say, Dave, you have dropped to third place with a no, grand no, totally total. unexpected. With a grand total of 21 points. So, uh, there you go. 21 points. Third place. Podium finish. Boom. <laughs> Bronze place. Uh, and in silver, a man who made a giant comeback, but didn't quite take the, the man in first. We have, of course, Lee. Lee, you have 23 points. Nicely done, Ooh. sir. A big jump from... 16, not bad at all. And, of course, that means the man, the myth, the legend, maintains the lead with a whopping 26, just squeaking over the halfway mark. Thanks to the bonus round, we have Peter West. Peter, you are our champion, and I have a little something special that I am going to put in the mail for you. It was a, a prize from Warlord Games, so you will get a little Warlord fun toy in the mail and lee i might have one for you and dave i'll give you a big hug and buy you a beer the next time we hang out so <laughs> gentlemen thank you so much and ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for playing along with us today i hope you've enjoyed this quiz uh and uh if anything else maybe you learned something maybe you were just entertained uh no matter what though we hope uh, at the cast dice network be it uh, drew on the uh, beyond the first marker podcast be it uh, myself on this or any of the other casts or any of the guests that I've had on, and including these fine gentlemen. I'm going to speak for them because Lord knows I love to talk for other people. Uh, we would like to thank you so much for listening, and we would like to wish you the very best in 2020. Um, there's about a million memes out there talking about how 2019 was a rough ride. I hope your ride was not rough, uh, and if it is, I hope that um, you know maybe we've brought you a little joy on this network at one point or another. And thank you to all the people that have sent uh, Christmas messages and New Year's messages. It has been uh, particularly, uh, it, was, it was great. It was a rough end to the year for me personally, and to get all those wonderful messages from all of you lovely people listening at home has been fantastic. So I did want to take a second to say thank you. Um, if you have any problems, sneers, jeers, abuses, or things you'd like to share, um, podcasting can be a weirdly solitary experience without these lovely people that I'm sharing the mic with tonight. Um, it, the, it, the Cast Eyes Network is generally just me at home. 
um, with some equipment. So um, please feel free to message if you would like to reach out, if you have thoughts for future shows, or if you just want to talk about things that you liked or things that you didn't, and uh, give us feedback on how we can improve. Please go to Facebook and type in Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E, and uh, just message. My name is Brad, and I will reply within 12 hours, depending on when I'm sleeping and where you are. But on that note, uh, we at Cast Ice would like to say a very happy new year. We wish you the best in 2020. And when you are playing the games that we know and love, guys, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Ice hope that you are having fun. Good night. Go!